It's time to introduce a new legendary monster, one of the real all-timers. That's right, Mothra, an atypical kaiju, one that is a hero of sorts from the start, one defined by elegance and beauty, not through being traditionally monstrous. Ishida Honda remained a huge fan of Mothra. Though not originally his creation, more on that later, he had great hopes for what Mothra could be. The story of the Mothra films is a story of a transitional point in the wider Godzilla and therefore kaiju genre, um, Godzilla franchise. A move from sincerity to the fantastical and from the seemingly adult to the overtly childish. After all, Honda thought the future of Mothra was as a Disney-style cartoon and the original film, at least, is made of this sensibility in mind. Later, Mothra would get their own trilogy, the Rebirth of Mothra series, films squarely aimed at children, and though those films are arguably unsuccessful and often just bad, they nicely achieve Honda's hopes. After all, he did say when speaking of the creation of Mothra that we wanted to do something that was new for the whole family, like a Disney or Hollywood type picture. We want to be brighter, nicer. Mothra is also the first kaiju we properly root for. Of course, audiences rooted for Godzilla, but did so out of an aesthetic pleasure and destruction, something that, um, that Susan Sontag wrote about. Mothra's clearly sympathetic status is a continuation of Honda and writer Takeshi Shimura's Rodan. The end of that film is a feat of emotional whiplash, though. The monster that destroyed towns and rained down death is now dying in a volcano. It is a cathartic moment of success, but the score swells emotionally and the plot point is sold as tragic. It doesn't work. In Mothra, the titular monster also causes great destruction. Most notably, Mothra tears down Tokyo Tower, at this point only three years old, yet the destruction of Mothra is framed very differently. On one side, a lot of Mothra's destruction is moved away to a fictional location. Relisica and its capital, Newkirk City. I'm going to say that word a lot for this podcast. This offloads the impact and allows us to take more joy. The destruction is more passive also than something easily avoided. Mothra leaves destruction in their wake. But this is also in the wake of humanity. You see, Mothra comes from far away, an island where all things were fine. Then business interests decide to exploit the island, kidnapping and enslaving two inhabitants, foot-high women, played by the then-famous singing duo The Peanuts. And this leads to Mothra being summoned as an avenging god. This is the franchise's first overt dabbling with religion. In fact, religion is how things are saved here. There is a baffling conclusion where a Christian church of the sun uses a moment of religious epiphany where humanity humbles itself to Mothra, giving in and giving up its exploitative stance. This allows Mothra to stop and peace to reign. We bring the monsters with our hubris, we send them away or demonstrify them by making good. This lack of a traditional ending means there isn't a kaiju death or defeat scene. We're allowed to be jubilant when Mothra leaves. This time, the design of Mothra is also in line with them being heroic. They look beautiful, a richly detailed and very different looking creature. The arc of Mothra here is best summed up by Honda himself and his continuing understanding of monsters and actually links back to the earlier comments by Del Toro quoted by Calvin on our Pacific Rim episode. So I will quote, monsters are tragic beings. They are not evil by choice. They're born too tall, too strong, too heavy. That is their tragedy. They do not attack humanity intentionally, but because of their size, they cause damage and suffering. Therefore, man defends himself against them. After several stories of this type, the public finds sympathy for the monsters. In reality, they favor the monsters. 
But where does Mothra come from? Well, the Genesis is a writing team of literature scholars and novelists. Um, the Glowing Fairies of Mothra was a story serialized in Asahi Extra magazine in 1961, written by a French literature scholar, Nakamura, a Faulkner scholar, Fukunaga, and Hotta, who had written a novel about atomic bombings. This story was liberally adapted by the Varan writer Sekizawa. Now, Sekizawa and Kimura began became the leading voices of the Godzilla franchise in the Showa era, representing the divergent approaches and being behind subsequent entries. Kimura was a member of the Japanese Communist Party. He was responsible for the more sincere and overtly political Godzilla films. He wrote Rodan, as mentioned, and would go on to write versus Hedera and Destroy All Monsters. Sekizawa pioneered the light-hearted tone, penning King Kong versus Godzilla, as well as this one, and many later entries. Therefore, the Mothra story was given the expected Sekizawa treatment. The politics were downplayed, the amount of fairies dropped from four to two, and he cut out a romance story to a fairy and a human, a plot point that would return in the frankly horrendous conclusion to the Godzilla anime trilogy available through Netflix, Godzilla the Planet Eater, an abysmal movie. This lighter tone established by Sekizawa is also evident in the change of composer. Ifukabe stated he could not do the kind of songs this film needed, so Yuki Koseki scored the film instead, a composer who had a more Western musical sensibility. American money was involved this time, you see. This is the biggest kaiju film yet for those involved, but that also came with responsibilities and meddling. In this film, we have the previously mentioned Relisica, that name again, Relisica, which is styled like the USSR, there's the uniforms and flags, but acts like the USA, with a capital city that is New York meets San Francisco. This fictional country allows us to criticize the superpowers without picking sides, without getting into trouble. This is also due to American studio meddling, who demanded that the film end in an American-style city. Alas, this was far too expensive, so a different ending was planned. We flee into the mountains, there are hostages and volcanoes, all very exciting. They filmed this ending as the first thing on the schedule. It was the most ambitious moment. They even left a dummy of the dead Nels at the bottom ravine. Later, a hitchhiker would find the dummy and report it as a suicide, which led to the authorities getting called and then finding Honda and co and telling them off severely for the incident, which is amusing, if slightly tragic. So they filmed the sequence while waiting for Columbia's approval, who were financing. They returned from filming it to realize they did not have Columbia's approval and scrapped the entire ending, um, though footage of it still existed in the publicity skill stills. This meant that the new Kirk City disruption had to be done, and this cast a shadow over the rest of the film. The budget needed for this limited every other part. It was far too expensive. But the film was a success, so Mothra return. Interestingly, Mothra is continually an example of capitalist critique, pointedly so. Especially interesting, these films are made during economic rebuilding, some of optimism and perceived prosperity. This makes the critiques sting, it makes them daring, yet you can easily read the films as a defense of the capitalist rebuilding and the need to safeguard our prosperity, as opposed to giving in to selfishness. The message is more broadly humanist than anti-capitalist. The clear me message of Mothra versus Godzilla is a belief in a social contract and needs to be honest and to work together, a message hilariously shown by a headline that reads, faith in humanity shattered, when... Um, Mothra leaves us. Originally, Mothra vs. Godzilla was going to be a direct sequel to Mothra, starting in Relisica, with Godzilla wrecking the place and then moving back to Japan. It was Honda who vetoed this, pushing the message about faith in humans. Really, this film is the best display of Honda's ideology. It's the first step towards Godzilla as a guardian. Here, grouping up against... Here, what groups up against him is a mirror of what he would become, the guardian of post-war prosperity. 
In this film, Godzilla bursts out of a selfish and exploitative past, one only tackled by cooperation and growth. The idea of an egg hatching and new creatures coming to save the day is very purposeful. Post-war security and progress is the ideal in this film. The edges of capitalism are critiqued as they coalesce with the era they are trying to leave. This is a transitional film in general, though. It is the start of a lighter tone, but the monsters aren't funny. Godzilla is clumsy, but threateningly so, not comedically. This is also the beginning of monsters as the solution, not the military. This is also Godzilla's last destructive rampage, the last film in the show continuity where they are the villain. Mothra being heroic is the herald of this change, a firm step forward for the franchise. Really, Mothra versus Godzilla typifies all that is best about the Showa series. But let's get to the conversation and really explore the strengths and weaknesses of these films. And uh, let's rank some monsters. Much like the uh, Peanuts, my daughter has uh, conjured her own song uh, to call upon Godzilla to save the day. Um, oh, fantastic. This is uh, not quite the Godzilla theme song. I'd say this is Ezra's idea of the Godzilla theme song that's in her <laughs> head. So it's like halfway to the Godzilla theme song. But um, I thought I would play for you just a, a few seconds of a of Ezra doing her idea of the theme song. This is what Ezra believes the Godzilla theme song is. A beautiful I mean, moment for me. Fukube said he couldn't do the Mothra music, but at least we know that Ezra could have done. Ezra could have like taken up that mantle. <laughs> so it's step above. That is beautiful and wonderful. I just, I don't know. It's it's continually fascinating to me, like the appeal of these goofy movies that they can still speak to a younger generation, even if they're not, even if they're bored by most of them, even if yeah. they're not city literate in quotes, just like the appeal of big thing in big suit walking through stuff and saving the day is just, I don't know, semi-universal. I love it's, it. It's uh, sort of like she doesn't care at all until she really cares a lot. And then, uh, a lot of it does something for her that it it doesn't quite do for me, but um, I realize it would do watching through her eyes. Yeah, I I, I know that um, the Flophouse podcast, Elliot Kalin is a huge fan of the Godzilla series. He said by watching them as a child and being like, he didn't care enough to be bored by them. He just yeah. like zoned out and then it was really exciting bits. And now watching them again later, it's like, what, this is really boring. And then it's great. But like as a child, you're like, yeah, whatever, it's boring. I can concentrate on something else. Ah, oh, the monster's here. Let's concentrate again. You don't really care about the narrative and what's pulling it through. And there is enough gleeful destruction to keep anyone involved. And it just looks so silly. My first experience of Godzilla, having no context whatsoever at this age, maybe age five or six, was like a sleepover where... Um, I didn't even quite know what it was, but a friend had Godzilla, uh, I believe, versus Mothra on, and and they had uh, they had like the whole a whole series of these things. Well, we just played Game Boy, and um, I I didn't quite know what it was, but I knew that the moments that were interesting were spectacular, and and like the most ramped up version of uh, you know Power Rangers, VR Troopers, whatever we were into at that time. Um, I realized that this was like the ultimate version of something. I had at mm. home and I wasn't quite getting the full effect of, and I realized that like I was being sold short of something that, that I wanted. Well, yeah. Cause this, this is the slow kind of takeover of like Godzilla into um, the West to use like broad terms, the sense of we so often for so long had these kind of like 
butchered versions with like all out of chronology like horrifically dubbed or just made new movies out of them and like to the extent that they could get away with that goddamn awful Roman Emmerich Godzilla of like that sense of like this is Godzilla and like that's not Godzilla except it's a later Godzilla film that jokes about that Final Wars has Zilla in it and it just dies um so yeah and then now these are all accessible I mean hugely actually thanks to Criterion like putting out that show a box set as they're a yeah. thousandth um they're a thousandth release and just being like, I don't know, because there is like, as though it shouldn't be, there is a sense of clout that comes with Criterion. So therefore, once they attach their clout to Godzilla, people are like, oh, I can take Godzilla seriously. Now you're like, yeah, damn right, you can take Godzilla seriously. But yeah, yeah I think also Shin Godzilla have helped with that as well, because, you know, now releases are much more worldwide. So they're making a proper Godzilla follow-up that wasn't the American versions. Was so a, that's the big thing step. is, although, you know, you never know what channels your friends have, or if you didn't have cable at the time, you mm. kind of you kind of went home and you just couldn't have what your friends had, right? Like a, there was yeah. a time in the 90s where you you went to someone's house because they had something that was totally unobtainable, like within your childhood, right? Like Oh, totally. I had a whole friend group that was predicated yeah. on they had an N64. That was like, I, I didn't have that. I wanted to play Perfect Dark and Golden Knight, so I went around their house. Um, I didn't, well, I'm not going to yeah. say I didn't like them, but I wasn't, I wasn't their biggest friend, but I would be their friend for Golden Knight. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you could be a Goldeneye friend. I think that was yeah. sufficient at that age too, yeah. to, to have a friendship based on Goldeneye is one of the good things you could do. God, I had a friend that had Conquest Bad Fur Day. It was very exciting. <laughs> That's all I remember about them is they had yeah. that. So yeah, there's this, this sense of like getting the culture any way you can, as opposed to now where every Godzilla and almost every Gaiju film we've, we've thought of is just at our fingertips, ready to be discovered, which is its own kind of joy. Yeah. I think like the accessibility and having everything available to Ezra though, I think she'll be able to like grow and I'll just keep like reintroducing these movies. I could tell she'll be a fan. I could tell yeah. she's already a fan. You could hear her, you could hear it in her humming that she's a, a devoted advocate, much like the peanuts. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should we start with Mothra then? Had, had you seen, I know you'd seen uh, Mothra versus Godzilla before, um, not only as a child at a sleepover, but I yeah. know you, in your short um, running through the series before the most recent one, you, you got up to this point, I believe. But had you seen Mothra by itself before? No, I hadn't. Um, which mm. was uh, confusing because uh, I, I feel like Mothra vs. Godzilla sufficiently covers Mothra in a way that maybe <laughs> yeah. I didn't quite need to do Mothra too. I do, I do like Mothra, though. I mean, obviously, let's get the the very important caveat out of the way of both of these films continue what has become a trend in this um, genre at this point of horrendous racial depictions. We have, like, amounts of, like, blackface, brownface, general racial caricature in both. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately. It, yeah, it's, it's horrendous. Like, I read a bit about it. They said they've taken the step away from just, like... Because previously, they presented um, Indigenous people as... Um, subhuman um which was obviously one doesn't want to one doesn't want to this is not ranking the racism um yeah. obviously but there is different kind of depictions so now they're claiming to be much more open and like mothra as a monster is presented as being this wonderful thing and therefore the culture it's from is presented as positive but it's presented as positive through this like deeply colonialist lens that like cannot do it justice in the sense of we will not show that you're monsters we will not accept like you as civilized to use colonial terminology in that sense of the, the depictions there are grotesque it's more in mothra than it is in um mothra versus yeah um and it's even more in king kong versus godzilla jesus christ yeah um but yeah there's a whole heck of a lot um to to get through that would be enough to relegate these movies for anybody is it questionable that the priestesses are a foot tall i can't tell 
Is that is that something I should be worried about? I, I, don't really I feel like I should one. be worried about them. <laughs> I, I really like the fairy twins. The yeah. fairy twins are really cool. Um, so the fairy twins are played by a popular singing group at the time. It's called Peanuts. And I think they, they were in like 10 movies as a whole. And I think six of those movies were like Godzilla-y slash Mothra movies. So they spent like so much of their career singing about um, giant moths, which is God bless utterly them. hilarious. Godzilla um, bless because, them. Yeah, they they were a big deal so getting them in the film was a big deal um i mean the way they're implemented in the film is really really cool i mean these are pioneering effects of like i love them filming. yeah because they, they are a foot tall so some of the sizing doesn't work it's yeah. kind of hats, <laughs> um but they definitely fluctuate in size at points um, yeah, but i was reading about how they were done they, they, they changed the process a bit um on the second movie because they got better at it um, but it's very much they had kind of like reference material to stare at, like balls and like dolls to stare at, and they filmed them in different sets and just like transplanted it onto it. And it, it looks really cool. And it, it looks nice that they're transplanted on because they do look like they're from another world, and that yeah. one, it doesn't look quite right because they're supposed to be magical. This, this is the first kaiju film that we've seen that goes fantasy. We've seen science fiction, we've seen kind of like the political, we've seen like focusing on like a worldwide perspective, but this is we actually inject facts like. And what I do like about Mothra is it doesn't try to explain it. And mm. I think a lot of that is down to the scriptwriters. So we've got these two competing scriptwriters at this point in the Godzilla franchise about to happen that I mentioned in, in my speech. We've got Kimura and Sekizawa. And Sekizawa is seen as being the, the comedic writer, the one that does the lighthearted stuff, which is, I think, quite denigrating because the thing that I think is good about both these films is he's very good at light characterization. These films are both full of little characters who don't have much personality, but it's just a joy to be on the screen. Yeah. Mothra versus Godzilla, there's the egg guy, the guy that loves the egg. The villains in both of these films are really kind of conniving and wonderful, even if they're like cartoonishly evil. Um, so he's good at these bursts of like personality. And his writing sensibility means it doesn't get bogged down in science and it doesn't get bogged down in fantasy. It's just, yo, this kaiju is a god these are fairies deal with it we're going with it i really love that here and i think it, it, it makes mothra work it doesn't feel like we're suddenly going to like lord of the rings high fantasy it's just like nah it's here whatever get used to it yeah it's very much kaiju comedy as mm. well as fantasy um and it is like plugging into like the i'd say like the scripts of godzilla and how it, it already works like we have this uh basic understanding and and context for these things so it doesn't have to explain too much does it yeah, and I think the thing that I will note about, about Mothra, and I think this is telling to Sekizawa's writing of the opening act of Mothra, apart from the racial depictions, it does what we've seen in previous films and even in some of the Gamera films of that sense of let's do an adventure film for a bit. And this is the first one we've seen together for the podcast where it actually works, where the mm -hmm. first act of Mothra is actually, it's not like an amazing movie, it's good, but it eh? is compelling. Like you're, you're working out, you've got this kind of like light idea of they're going to the island because they hear it's been irradiated and people come back, there's no chance of radiation on them. And there's this light political touch where this like capitalist businessman goes there and he sees the, the infant island twins. Um, and he wants to kidnap them to exploit them and actually enslaves them. Um, but on that same island, there is this like tree sap they've worked out like cures radiation sickness. And I right. like the idea that this like capitalist like dude would like, oh, that, that's of genuine use. I want to exploit that. These two things to take home to make a sideshow out of in like a way that's so clearly an echo of King Kong, if I think the thing back from the island, is it, that's a hilarious little touch. And I like that because it's Sekizawa, it doesn't lean into it. Like Rodan leans maybe too far into its politicization and then drops it. This is just like a, oh, if you think about it, that's kind of funny. 
it is like falling on the wavelength of like a rodan though but and mm. it, it does it is like that causal effect of of humans exploiting resources causing these mm. monsters to uh come back and um i i do like madra as well as mm. a design i like the pattern on the back especially which makes it more interesting than some of the other bird monsters which uh, kind of just look like puppets with wings uh sometimes it's just such a bold and beautiful design. It's so different. I know I was reading about it, that actually like Mothra has had a resurgence recently in like the popular culture of being like, because I was reading that at the time, um, the toys of Mothra um, were really unpopular because children couldn't, children didn't recognize it as a monster, I think was the issue. Um, so for a lot of this, the kids are not really into the films, they're into the toys to play with. And like Mothra was seen as this thing. Like, so I feel like the issue with Mothra is it doesn't it doesn't work as like a toy box toy, but it works yeah. as a great movie character. And that's why the, the Mothra movies are like, oh, these are actually really, really good. Um, and the Mothra monster is so different looking. I think it's like only later we get Hedera, which is another, um, which is one of my favorite Godzilla movies, which is another one of being like, this is a real different monster. It's not toyable. That toy is not going to work, but it works in the movie. You would think that a uh, Madara toy could work, though, like with all the bright colors. And uh, if it came with a couple of priestess uh, <laughs> maybe. Do you reckon it would be so easy for, to, for it to look crap, though? Because yeah. like, it's so like felty and like covered in detail. Whereas right. like, Godzilla, you could draw the outline of, and that's Godzilla. Like Even like a very light, low detail Godzilla, like Godzilla. And mm. low detail Mothra looks horrendous. <laughs> yeah, it looks like a moth, effectively, a large mm. moth toy. Uh, I don't see how that works uh, to play with, at least. But. The to go back to your question about the the um, the fairies, I think there is an interesting thing in their depiction. I think the one thing where their depiction really doesn't work is when they are literally enslaved, um, and they are always happy-go-lucky the entire way yeah. through, which is a hell of a choice of this <laughs> idea of we'll frame the enslaver as wrong but we won't get into the like the deep immorality of the effect it's this like very selective like representation of like exploitation of being like we don't want it to look too bad because everyone's kind of exploiting everyone in this movie but so yeah them being just being like they go to the show they kind of love doing the show just because it knows you want to watch the music sequences so it can't frame the musical sequences being too horrific yeah. and it knows that the peanuts the appeal so then must carry their star power so those bits are not done very very well but the rest of it is cool and the problem is that the music is my favorite thing about it too. So mm. I enjoy that bit so much because um, yeah, as we put on, as we tack the song onto every episode we do, it's, it's so obviously a, a clear favorite of ours. I, I do love the destruction of this one though. It's, it's very much like a, an increasing moment Rodan did. So Rodan was like this like sonic boom crushing around it. I mean, it's a really weird one because like in description, it does the same thing that Rodan does of Mothra destroys two whole cities um so tokyo and then new kirk city which we need to talk about because relisica <laughs> is just wonderful um yeah. so we destroy those two places and then we forgive mothra and mothra flies away but it works this time whereas in rodan rodan is killing everyone and then we're sad when rodan dies why do you think it works or do you think it works um i i vaguely think it works i i vaguely remember mothra also um I do remember more Mothra Godzilla. <laughs> uh, it's yeah, all kind yeah. of a blur with everything going on in my life the last two weeks. So I'm uh, mm. I'm defaulting to a lot of your opinions this week. You know what? We'll, 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 we'll keep that running. Um, I like that. Um, but I, for me, it's the destruction from Mothra is much more passive. And when when they're tearing down Tokyo Tower, they're tearing it down like 
you build this kind of like cocoon so that that kind of works as well and then it's clear every time that this destruction could just stop that there is a clear stake there that if the um exploitative guy just gave back these twins which gave back is a really weird term to use but the movie is definitely like conversing in that then it will just end though the conclusion of this movie after the brilliant um destruction sequence is just so bewildering of the sense of just like Mother is flying yes. in the sky and they see a cross in a church and they're like, see the sun behind it. And then they remember a symbol from Mothra's Island and they're like, ah, yeah. And then they all start praying and they pray the Mothra away, basically. Um, and it's really strange. Is, <laughs> Ra- I- is Ralasica, how do you say it? Ralasica? Uh, is that the first uh, fictional location or yeah. have, we, have we worked with like fictional? I feel like it's always such a representation of where these movies come from. It's very weird for me to be like New Donk City or whatever, New Korea yeah. City, right? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, New Donk City is new. Yeah, this is the first movie of Rolissica. Um, and it's hilarious because like the guy that is playing the Rolissica is, um, he's a Japanese American, I believe, but he, he only speaks English. So he's learning his lines phonetically. Um, and he is clearly framed as American. Mm. The way he acts is very american Um, but the iconography is all ussr like their uniforms are soviet uniforms the flag they've got are soviet flags but then they're coming so it's clearly just like we want to insult the americans (laughs) but we can't Mm. so we'll make them look a bit soviet but we don't want to upset them either (laughs) so it's a made-up place it 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 seems to draw from like like you say, North America and then uh, uh, some of uh, Asia and, and Europe. It's a very strange place. It's Yeah, it's bizarre. I, I, I really like it as a straw man idea of just being like, ah, whatever. I think it fits in with the fantastical, like, we've jumped the shark now of like, yeah. Mothra is so not of this world that why not have this fictional thing? And it's better than Japan leading the UN, which they've been doing in like the previous movies. Like, it works better than that. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, because that, that always has an uh, uh, interesting... Um, implications about war and Japan's place in it, but yeah, th- these movies are less military porn than before. I think that the, the back good. end of Mothra versus Godzilla gets into let's throw the tanks at it, but ultimately is more focused on the monster fights. And I feel this is like a nice term for the franchise, where it gets like the appeal is the monsters not getting out big guns the whole time, because <laughs> that does get just. I mean, especially in uh, the Mysterians, or like the last twenty minutes, just like this is just like war now we're just watching war for a while yeah. i'm okay yeah i think it's uh i think it's a good turn to like you say i do fantasy because that uh gives it a different layer and a different texture than some of these others mm. we've covered um and it gives them the the space to create these things like this city and uh, this country um these uh little people in a movie about large monsters is hilarious yeah, it's, it's so it funny is. to me that the littlest people conjure the biggest monsters yeah um, so yeah, we like Mothra, but do you know what we really like? Mothra versus Godzilla, which just rules. Yeah, it's um, a fucking great movie. <laughs> it's really good. I mean, this is this is if it wasn't for the racial caricature, this is my go-to of like, if you want to know what Showa Godzilla is, everything is in this movie. Like when Godzilla first emerges and it's 30 minutes into the film, when he comes out of the soil, he looks imposing. Like, he's mm-hmm. not scary like he is in Hedera and like he is in um, the first movie. 
but he's intimidating. So it has that sense of like thing. And I like that it's a clumsy Godzilla because he's clumsy and versus King Kong as well. But his clumsiness makes him more dangerous. Like he shouldn't be here. I, I haven't felt that. We talked on the first Godzilla of why Godzilla is scary is because he's incongruous to his setting. This idea of this thing should not be here. And he's just like walking through stuff. So when Godzilla just like moves in his tail as he takes out a building or he trips over slightly, it causes destruction still. And it's like, hmm. Yeah, this thing is should not be alive. And like that goes back to the metaphor yeah. of the past and back up. I love that stuff. I like really what you said in the intro that might be one of the biggest appeals for me is having these monsters that are uh, destructive because they exist. Like because they're mm. existent in this setting, they're going to destroy what's inside it. I mean, it's not their fault. They, it's just what they would do. It's what they do. It's how they are. I think this is such a great understanding point for, for Honda and for Sekizawa, this point of being like, these are films where it's a world that is dealing with monsters. And I feel this is the first time the world has like really been compelling because this, this movie is 30 minutes until Godzilla, like 31 minutes. And it's not even a not quite 90 minute long movie. So it's over a third, it's like 89 minutes, but whatever. Um, and this is the first time where you're not like, when's Godzilla gonna appear? Where's Godzilla? Where's Godzilla? Yeah. It is a genuinely compelling first 30 minutes. Like it's, yeah, it's it is fine. The, I, I really like it. you've got all of the egg stuff is just the egg glorious. stuff's great. <laughs> all of the egg stuff. So the egg we man start, is very funny. Yes. Ah, uh, um, so we start in Godzilla fashion with like the um, lucky dragon incident. There is a sea. There's a boat going down. Blah, blah blah. And then we find out that maybe it's because of like industry and stuff. And man's meddling has made made that this giant egg has just appeared and there's this great moment where these fishermen are like everything that turns up on the shore is technically ours because we fished for it right and then this businessman just swoops in and goes like oh i've just bought this egg and you're like <laughs> what do you mean bought this egg and he goes well i worked out this egg is the weight of this many eggs so i did the maths and i worked out the cost and i bought it off the fisherman you're like what is going on and we keep cutting back to this guy in this newspaper office who is just eating boiled eggs all the time. And just like right. that as a visual gag is just hilarious. It's great. And I love it so much. I love it so much. I, yeah, I think there's just so much to like about Godzilla Mothra. It's the one where I was going through these before we did the podcast. Mm. I was like starting to uh, familiarize myself a little bit with like uh, the kaijus that people liked. And this is one that connected with me. And I was like, maybe I was like, Maybe there's something for me other than Shin in the original. Uh, mm. This is the one that kind of showed me that there was a little bit more out there. I, I, this is this is so great to me, as I was saying, because this is like everything that's good about the show of continuity is in this film. Like it's yeah. got the silliness. You've got like the silliness from those characters. You've got the bit of humor. You've got how camp and ridiculous it is. You've got a <laughs> monster fight that is most of it is just like two things just being whacked against each other um, with like suffocating close ups and like. Godzilla getting dragged along. I love when Godzilla gets dragged along by things. Always, always great. It's always you still good. Have a you still have a sense of threat here, though. And you still have some themes here. And they're very light, but there is a clear kind of like capitalist critique. It's more of like a, a humanist stance by the end of the movie. But this is the one where all the bits come together. And it's, it's never quite all of this together again. There are movies that I think are better because they go into one direction. I think Destroyer Monsters is a better movie. Um, because it just focuses on just like, here's a great kaiju battling film. I think Hedera is better because it is just weird. Um, but this this is Showa Godzilla in one movie, and it's everything you would want it to be. It's very cohesive. Um, all those parts do work together here. The destruction mm. is great. Uh, the story is mm. fun. The monsters are good. Godzilla is uh, 
very destructive and uh i like when godzilla can be the antagonist as well yeah yeah which is this this is our last antagonist godzilla this is um introducing kind of like mothra as a point to show that monsters can be good and we also have like what also becomes like a a serious trend of the tragic death of the monster if we have this like death of mothra partway through that is actually really sad it's not as sad yeah. as like i mean the the, the apex <clears throat> of the sadness in this franchise is a film later of godzilla versus destoroyer which is really tragic like it actually makes you feel these monsters the way you have not before but we're getting towards that here there's a sense where mothra is just getting beat and because the because the model is so good, because the detail is so good, when you see this thing get beaten up and beaten around, it's it's really sad. And then you've got, oh my god, the ending scene. One hates to use the term phallic, but when you've got these like two little <laughs> things poking in from the side of the screen, just like splurting all over Godzilla, is it's phallic. hilarious. <laughs> it's utterly hilarious. So yeah, it, it it can be fun. It can be emotional. You've got Godzilla walking through. It's Nagoya this time. And mm. when he just like wrecks the castle, you're like, yeah, it's one of the best castle wrecks. We love that. Oh, it's a fun movie. We do like to see it. Um, mm. What do you think? Should we move into a ranking? This week? I think we can put them on a ranking. I think it's going to be uh, an interesting ranking for these mm. ones. Yeah. All right. So the ranking, we have 17 movies. We're going to hit 19 with this. Mm-hmm. And uh, very we, exciting. <laughs> we've got quite a big list uh, now. Uh, shall I lead through mm. uh, the the ones we've got? Yeah, yeah. Take me through the list. At number one, we have Godzilla, uh, original mm. Godzilla um, masterpiece that uh, has yet to be dethroned. We'll see today. Yep. Um, at number two, we have the X from Outer Space, an average film. The original, like. the original X from Outer Space, a masterpiece that has yet to be dethroned. A, an average film that's yet to be dethroned, we should say. Uh, number three, Boo. The Host, uh, a better film that's uh, lower in the rankings. Um, <laughs> well, you know, science science does what science does, you know. Four, Gamera, The Giant Monster, an even better film, lower in the rankings. <laughs> Five, we have Pulgasari, a really fun film that uh, uh, from North Korea. Would, would you say it's a better film than The X from Outer Space? I would say that. Um, <laughs> I'd say half the list is, but <laughs> okay. What about this next movie? Surely that won't be the case. Uh, six Pacific Rim, uh, GDT, definitely a better film from X Outer Space. <laughs> uh, uh, seven Rodan, uh, probably an equal film to X okay. from Outer Space. Weirdly, and... this is at seven, you think it'd be higher, no. <laughs> yeah. You'd think, um, Damogen at number eight, uh, Cloverfield at nine. 10, Gamera vs. Gaios. 11, Gamera vs. Paragon. You what? Bad movie, worst movie. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, the Great Yoke War Guardians at 12. Not really a kaiju film, disappointing. Godzilla raids again at 13. Doesn't raid again very well. No, he, he shouldn't raid anymore. Uh, 14, The Mysterians. 15, Godzilla, uh, the Godzilla, that's the Italian mm-hmm. cut that you think isn't a movie. Um, not, a and, movie. not a movie. And yet we have movies below it that are movies uh, because we have Varan and then finishing oh. out at 17, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, exclamation point. Yeah, which is a cinematic crime. So that's why it's at the bottom of the list. Uh, worse than not being a, bo- a movie is the cinematic yeah. crime. Yeah. I mean, doing um, a crime is worse than not doing a crime. I would agree. Yeah. There you go. 
Uh, are um, neither of these movies are crimes? Would you say? Uh, no, these are both no, successful? they're not. I mean, okay. Well, th- there is some criminally bad representation in both, but apart yeah. from that, uh, no. Um, Mothra first, then. Okay, Mothra is good. I don't. I don't know if it's as good as like our our peak of the list, right? Like it's. Uh, no. It's it's not better than original Godzilla. Um, no. It is better than the extra matter space, which no, we have no, in second no, it's place. Not. Um, it's, it's, it's not. It's not as good as that movie. Um, how do you feel about Mothra? I, I have a harder time with Mothra than I do Mothra versus Godzilla, which is very yeah. clear to me where that should go. Okay, I'm going to suggest we put it between Polgasari and Pacific Rim. <laughs> Mothra, just the first one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, the first one. I wonder I think if it's that's not quite possible. as cool as Polgasari. Um, and I feel it's a better straight kaiju film because, you know, Mothra is iconic, great introduction, fun movie, a few foibles, but it's good. Um, it's a better introduction than Rodan's introduction. So it's better than Rodan, um, which would be at seven. And I think it just edges above Pacific Rim. Well, Pacific Rim just doesn't have enough kaiju specificity, yeah. really, to keep arguing its case against. Uh, the introduction of mm. a really good monster like Madara, right? Like a yeah. There's so much more specificity to Madara's designs than any of the ones in that one. Uh, and uh, we have the singing peanuts, which uh, mm. uh, if Pacific Rim had singing miniature characters, it would probably be <laughs> a lot higher on our list. Oh god, if it was kaiju versus singing miniatures instead of mechs, I would be much more into that. You know, I'd watch that. Um, yeah. I, I I feel okay. I feel okay with this. Okay. Yeah, Non-controversial. Is, 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 is cooler. So we're putting it at number six currently between Polisari and Seven Pacific Rim. I'm yeah. fine with that, yeah. Okay. That means we're that at- uh, Mother of Godzilla is probably going higher because we both agree that's a, a greater movie. Mm. and uh, that I do agree. We're at least starting with Mothra and saying it's better than that. And All right, let's work our way up then, shall we? Okay. Uh, better than so, Polgasari? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's more cohesive. It has all the Shoah elements in it. I think that raises <laughs> it above that stock. Yeah. It's funnier as well. Like, it's got personality and charm. Polgasari has a lot of, like, interest. And, like, I was surprised by it. Whereas Marvel's Godzilla is just damn good. Um, all of it works really, really well. Gamera. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'm having... I'm struggling as we get up here. Uh, Gamera... Like I say, Gamera is the number two movie on this whole list. So, uh, I mean, it's fourth I place, but not in my heart. Um, I think this is better than the first Gamera. Um, of course. Because I, I still feel a little bit ironic about my enjoyment of the first Gamera, even if it's a, a pleasing irony, whereas there is no irony in my appreciation of Mothra vs. Godzilla. It's just a really good kaiju movie. Yeah, it's not it's not ironic at all. Um, I think mm. it. I think you could enjoy it for what's there without creating your own uh, our own reasons yeah. for for joy, yeah. as we do in Gamera sometimes. Um, the host. I think it is better than the host. It's free. I agree. I agree. Yeah. It's better than the host. Like we say, it's cohesive. And uh, again, mm. Bong Joon Ho, like GDT, is just such a great filmmaker that we need the representation. We love him, um, but. Uh, so is Honda. So, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I completely agree. So, so far, we have it at number it's three. It's top three, yeah. Uh, top three material. the X from Outer Space. I'm getting nervous here. 
<laughs> I think it's evidently better than that because I think those other movies it's better than you know. I... Uh, I'm gonna annoy only Jack Davenport and agree with you. I from yes. the beginning have yeah to number two. We did it. It's, yeah. <laughs> I'll stay on this podcast. I thought about canceling it so many times, but uh, I'm just overjoyed that we're moving up, uh, moving down. Uh, it's not even about what goes up. For me, it's about yeah. what goes down in the list. So. Mothra vs. Uh, Godzilla is just such a good movie, and I cannot let my enjoyment that outranks the movie that is X Amount of Space get in the way of like, we are here talking about kaiju movies. It's a really good kaiju movie. It's one of the best in the genre, one of the best, the best series of kaiju films. So mm. Mothra vs. Godzilla. It's not as good as Godzilla. It isn't. It's not. Nothing has been. So uh, I mean, that's a that's a really high barrier that we created right at the start, and I think it's important mm. to do that anyway, right? Like we yeah. we created something that will define what the best of this genre could be, <laughs> and the worst with um, Godzilla yes. and the monsters at the end. So we have we have these clear demarcated beginning and end, which I think is. Helpful, so, yeah. I think it's helpful for a list. So, so whether or not uh, anything tops it soon, I think it, it is important that we've defined that early on. Uh, but which I'm leaves us with a top ten. Yeah, we have a top ten then. So, Diamogen is now number ten, which means Cloverfield is no longer in the top ten, which I'm really happy about. Um, I'm unhappy, nine, but Rodan, yes. Pacific Rim, Mofra coming in at seven, Pogasari at six. The top five is Gamera, the Giant Monster, the Host. The X Mount Space at number three, Mothra versus Godzilla at number two, and Godzilla, the 1954 version, at number one for now. And you know this uh, this uh, ends an arc for me of uh, trying to get X Matter Space off. Uh, I I feel like I can move on to other tasks in this podcast now. Yeah, um, I feel like this might be a slippery slope, and we're going to start <laughs> seeing there'll come a point where it's not in the top ten, and I'll be really sad. It might stay there for a while uh, because uh, we have we'll some see. really bad kaijus to go over soon. We uh, do, we do, we do. We've got some good ones that are coming up as well. Yeah, we um, have. Which, um, in, in relation to that, um, listener at home or wherever you are listening, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, we apologize for the sporadic um, release of this. Um, the difficulty we have is, it's more my fault um, than it is Calvin's really, of... I work in education, so during term time, it becomes very hectic and unpredictable. So during the holidays, we can record whenever. Um, so it's just been a lot of that at the moment. So the promise going forwards is um, we'll make sure we have at least a monthly episode um, and where possible, we'll be on our fortnightly schedule, our two-weekly schedule for all you Americans out there. Yeah. Um, so that, that that is the guarantee going forward. So don't worry if you're like, oh, it's been three weeks, what's going on? That just means you've got one more week to wait and then it'll be there again. Don't worry about it. And uh, we'll we'll have more uh, packed episodes. Like our next one will be very special. It'll be our, I think, yes. our first four person uh, episode on the site. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, yeah. We're bringing back a previous guest. So I have to guess who that is, and then we're getting a new guest who's been mentioned on this show a lot. So therefore, it's on the show, <laughs> and we're going to do two great movies. Um, hopefully, great. Hopefully, we'll see. haven't seen hopefully. either. No, neither have I. Um, I'm very excited okay. About both Excellent. Of them. Yeah. Uh, so don't worry about the break. We'll make our uh, future episodes uh, maybe longer and better and uh, and worth yeah. the wait. So, And then we'll uh, get in uh, our bi-weekly whenever we can. So yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's still what we aim to to do, but sometimes it is, it is not a possibility, which is a shame, but a truth. All right. Um, the website, of course, still exists, um, still a threat. So thetwingeeks.com. <laughs> 
where you can find everything that you want to find about movies, um, both contemporary, classic, whatever you want, you know, any genre, be they kaiju, be they noir, be they, if there's a third genre of movie, I haven't found it, I'm sure there is. Westerns, um, so I think, we, is the third that's genre. That's it, yeah. the, the third genre, the three genres. <laughs> um, so you can listen to the Twin Geeks cast, which has had a number of special episodes recently with um, guests that I'd recommend. There's a one you did with... Um, from the show Pavlos, um, who does the Stadium cast, uh, about Norm MacDonald, uh, which I listened to recently, which yeah. was just a really interesting, different perspective. It's um, myself growing up in the UK, not a comedian I'm very familiar with because he didn't really kind of like penetrate outside of the US. So that was really yeah. educational for me. Um, I really, really, really enjoyed that. And just like, it's great to hear two people that have such an appreciation. And also the way you talk about a film that isn't that great, but still <laughs> like have the idea of like the appreciation of someone is more than that. I thought yeah, it was a really good way. And also, um, Calvin and I had the absolute honor of doing a podcast with um writer musician director producer actor uh, matt farley um so the most recent at this stage the twin geeks cast is that which please listen to we talked to him for about an hour and a half he was absolutely wonderful we <laughs> love his movie so much um and just a dream come true for the both of us absolutely and the daydream daydream cast returned um, i think so yeah i think it, it had one return yeah I was in it. I was. You were in it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I was there. I was there in the return. You get to hear me and Pavlos insult a game for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Then uh, this uh, later this week, I'll have Vaughn on. We'll go over Dune and um, The Devil's Backbone. More GDT content for the site. God, yeah, I can't believe that movie is going to be out. Christ, I will. I'm very excited to listen to that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we'll have an early screening this week, and then we'll we'll bring our takes early on. So, I think it's out in a week or two. I don't know. And I know that Vaughn has also seen um, James Bond, as have I, and we are perhaps planning to do a little thing for the website about that as well, because we very have a similar, a similar opinion on that film, a very similar opinion on that film, which I'm sure he will somewhat talk on the podcast. So yeah, lots of great stuff going on. Um, and there's a, you're covering a festival currently as well, aren't you? Yeah, uh, we're covering Nightstream. I've covered Sif Docs already, so uh, wrapping that up oh, and going yeah. into Nightstream. Uh, a ton going on. Uh, yeah. I also have what some side projects like. working on for the site, so... We'll see. How very exciting. So we will be back. We will return. Until then, read good books, say kind words, do good deeds, be a good person. I love it so much. It's so good. It's so unbelievably great. <laughs>